Welcome to the Compelling Words Podcast. The Word of God is meant to move us. It's meant to call us to action. Listen in as Kevin Purdy teaches and presents a genuine and compelling message from the Word of God. Here's a question for you. It's a little ways off yet, but does anyone know what special day September 19 is? September 19th is a special day. Um, I'll give you a hint. It's a good day to visit a Long John Silver's restaurant. Does that help? Does that help anybody figure out? It is National Talk Like a Pirate Day. That's what day September 19th is. National Talk Like a Pirate Day. And if you go to Long John Silver's on that day and talk like a pirate, they will give you a free piece of fish. You know what I say about that? I say, shiver me timbers, that's a great deal. (laughs) Now don't walk in there this week and go up and say, ahoy there, mateys. It doesn't work except for that day. Uh, But you can go ahead and start talking with a rough rasp in your voice and practice for it. Uh, The uh, pirate accent is very obvious, and that's why it's, it's, it's fun to do. An accent refers to the way that words are pronounced. They're part of a larger group of similar pronunciations called a dialect which refers not only to the way that words are pronounced, but a dialect is also specific little uses of grammar and how those are associated, how those are applied. It's estimated that there are 160 different English dialects. Every person has an accent. It's the result of how, when, and where they learned the language that they speak. I am from northern Indiana. My wife is from southern Indiana. So we have a little bit of different accent according to that. I say styrofoam. She says starfoam. It's a southern Indiana thing, I guess. You also have certain words, like in some places you drink pop. In other places, it's soda, and even other places, it's Coke. It doesn't matter what brand it is, it's all Coke. A genuine and authentic accent is a good indication of where you live and or the people that you spend most of your time with. Accents, you see, they don't develop on their own. You don't just have your own unique accent, at least most cases don't. Most of the time, you have an accent that's been created by the people that you're around. It's from your interactions with other people. My wife, Leanne, spent one summer in college interning at a church in New Zealand. When I picked her up at the airport at the end of, at the end of summer, she had a New Zealand accent. Her southern Indiana accent was gone, and she had this New Zealand accent. You know, it just, it just happens over time we start to talk and sound like the people that we are with. As Christians, we are meant to become like Christ. Romans 8.29 says that God has predestined us to be conformed to the image of his Son. Jesus told his followers to follow his example. 
1 Peter 2.21 tells us that Christ left us an example so you might follow in his steps. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says that we are ambassadors for Christ. As Christians, we are meant to represent Christ. We're meant to reflect Christ. But how do we do that? How do we become like Christ? How do we begin to talk like Christ, sound like Christ, look like Christ? Well, just like we pick up an accent from the people that we spend our time with, I think we begin to sound and look like Jesus when we spend time with him. That's how we begin to become like Christ. We spend time with him. Have you ever heard this phrase? We become what we behold. Have you ever heard that? We become, go ahead and say that with me. We become what we we behold. Okay. I had not heard that. I had not heard that phrase until recently. I read a book last year about the holiness of God. It's called Holier Than Thou, and it's written by Jackie Hill Perry. And she used that phrase in the book. And she used that phrase in consideration of what the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, the Corinthian letter. She used that phrase in consideration of that. In that letter, Paul's talking about when Moses had gone up to the top of the mountain and Moses was given from God, given the Ten Commandments, the law, more than just the Ten Commandments, the whole entire law, but we kind of think of it as the Ten Commandments. Moses came down from the mountain and his face was shining so bright from reflecting the glory of the Lord that the people were afraid of it. So so Moses put a veil over his face. And Paul is saying this, Paul is saying this to the Corinthians where he's writing this letter. He says, just like they couldn't see the glory of God because of the veil over Moses' face, without Christ, we still cannot see the glory of God. Without Christ, we still cannot see the glory of God. But when we are in Christ, that veil is removed and the Spirit of God allows us to see and to know God. Now keep that in mind and also remember that phrase, that phrase about we become what we behold. Keep that in mind as I read 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12 through 18. 2 Corinthians 3, 12 through 18 says, Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened, for to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is Spirit." Paul says that when we turn to the Lord through Christ, when we turn to the Lord through Christ, the veil is removed. And we're being transformed into his image as we behold the glory of the Lord. 
Because we turn to the Lord, the veil is removed and we can see God. And as we see God and behold God, we're becoming transformed into his image. We behold the glory of the Lord. That word behold means to see or to observe, to take special notice of someone or something that could be considered remarkable or impressive. When I saw my wife walk down the aisle on our wedding day, it was a sight to behold. When our kids, when our children were born, and I saw them for the first time, it was a sight to behold. A sunrise, a mountain range, a waterfall can be a sight to behold. People who are not in Christ, who do not have the Spirit of God, do not behold God. They cannot see how remarkable, how impressive God truly is. They're blind to it. There's still a veil over their eyes. They cannot see the majesty, the wonder, the glory of God. They don't see the beauty of God. They don't see the magnificence of God all over creation. They don't see the incredible, amazing grace of God. They just cannot see his glory. In fact, the gospel story, the truth about how Jesus came, saved us through his death and resurrection, that story, that gospel just seems ridiculous to them. In 1 Corinthians 1.18, it says, The teaching about the cross is foolishness to those who are being lost, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. You see, without Christ, without Christ, our eyes are veiled to the truth, blinded to the glory of God. But in Christ... In Christ, because of Christ, that veil is removed. The Holy Spirit opens up our eyes. John Piper once said this. He said, what's the best thing that the gospel brought for us? Forgiveness of sins, justification, eternal life. Those are glorious. They're all means to the end. And the end is the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, the beauty of Christ, the person shining forth. You see, the greatest blessing of the gospel is that because of the gospel, we can see God. Because of the gospel, we can see and we can know God. We had to be forgiven. We had to be justified. We had to be made right with God so that we could know God. Without that, we wouldn't see God. Without that, we wouldn't know God. Those are great blessings of the gospel, but those blessings of the gospel allow us to know and to see and to know God. Because of Jesus, I was blind, but now I see. The veil is gone, and we can see and we can know God. And as we see God, as we know him more and more, we become more and more like him. Remember, We become what we behold. This morning, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to look and behold God. Really look and really see and behold God. 
No longer can we just give a glance towards God. We need to stop and look. We need to behold. I want to encourage you this morning to behold God. Behold His love. That's what I want to talk specifically about this morning. Beholding the love of God. The love of God is an incredible, beautiful, amazing thing to consider. Stop and think about the love of God. Stop and consider. Just think about Romans 5.8. What a powerful verse, Romans 5.8. God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Most of you probably know that Leanne and I, we have a dog named Esther. We've had her a little over a year now. Um, She's a lot of fun. She's a lot of energy. She's playful and she's full of personality. Sometimes when she gets outside, she gets into some mud. And when she comes trouncing back into the house, tracking muddy prints, that's not cool. That's not good. One day, not too long ago, I was rushing to an appointment that I had, and Leanne was on her way home after having a rough day, which a rough day for a teacher means that she had to deal with parents because kids are never the issue. It's always the parents. And so she had had some sort of rough day, and I knew she was on her way home. I was headed out of the house for this appointment, and I had let the dog out and let Esther back in the house. And before I knew it, she's running into the house, and she had muddy prints. And I turned around, and there's muddy prints all the way going in the house. And I start trying to call her, but she's already running laps around the island in the kitchen. You know, it's, uh, and there was no way, there was no way that I wanted Leanne to come home to the house, walk through the door, and see that. So I had to try to wrangle the dog and then clean the floor before I got out of the house. And, well, guess what? That night, Esther got a good little lecture. (laughs) I sat her down, I looked her in the eye, and I told her, you're not allowed into the house with muddy paws. Either stay out of the mud or stop and let me clean off your paws before you come in the door. She just looked at me with her puppy eyes and tilted her head a little bit. And I'm not quite sure she understood my lecture. (laughs) Well, let me tell you this. I have a bigger problem than just muddy prints. I have a bigger problem than just mud on my feet. I have a muddy soul. I have struggles with sin. I'm dripping with guilt and filth, selfishness, pride, attitudes that are not good. Most of you know I'm a time-conscious person. I tend to like things in order how they should be. And I get to church at 7 o'clock on Sunday mornings. I get over here at 7. I want to work through my sermon some. I want to walk through and pray in different rooms. And I have things that I do when I get here at 7. I was running a little bit late this morning, and it kind of bugged me. And I got over here a little bit late, then I had forgot something, so I had to walk home. It's a good thing I live right across the parking lot. I walked home, grabbed something, I came over here, I went through the kitchen, I went to pull down a paper towel off the paper towel dispenser. And when I pulled it, I was kind of in a rush, so I pulled it, and the whole paper towel thing came and just spun everywhere. Let me tell you, a messed up paper towel roll almost caused me to lose my anger (laughs) on a Sunday morning. 
We all have these things, these struggles. We have this sin in our hearts, in our attitudes, our thoughts. It's way worse than these muddy footprints. It's this muddy soul. But here's the thing. God still opened the door and let me in. God still opened the door and let me in. Because of my mess, he had every right to keep me out. Because of my mess, he had every right to keep the door closed and say, nah, you're not coming in here. He had every right to do that. But he didn't, and he didn't tell me to get cleaned up before I could come in. Because God knew that I was completely incapable of cleaning myself up. He knew I was incapable of that. So what he did was he called me to him, and then he cleaned me up. That's the incredible love of God. That's the incredible love of God. You know, in this world, we know love because, those, because of those who've loved us. It, it could and should be the love of our parents. It could be the love of our grandparents, our aunts, our uncles, our brothers, and our sisters. We might know, we might know love best from our families, or maybe not. It could be just our good, close friends. It could be, it should be, the ones that we're married to, our husbands or our wives. We know love in this world because of those who have loved us. But, as we all know, even that love sometimes fails. And even when that love is done well, even when that love is done well, even when that love is given in the right way, the greatest love in this world still cannot hold a flame to the love of God. No matter how much anyone I mentioned or anyone else loves you, no matter how much they love you, their love can never save your soul. No one else has loved you with the perfect love like our God does. I saw a commercial the other night that caught my eye. It was a commercial for paint. It was a commercial for Benjamin Moore paint. And the commercial showed these people working on projects, and the narrator said things like this. I'm not kidding. This is what the narrator said during the commercial for paint. Love is an amazing thing. Now that might sound trite or cliche, and maybe if it was coming from a chocolate company or a flower shop, it would be. But we're a paint company. So hear us out. And then the ad goes on. A love of craft can turn work and labor into a work of art. Love can make you see past flaws to the beauty underneath. Love can turn pigment and polymers into a magical liquid. Love transforms. And then the words, see the love, appeared on the screen. That was a commercial for paint. (laughs) Now, maybe I missed something. I don't get it. Uh, Randy, I know you've been a painter your whole life. So you get it. Okay. All right. I mean, I don't get it. I don't see it. I, I, I don't see the connection. It's paint. And I think it's really silly to try to make it something deep and emotional. I don't see the love in a can of paint. I see nothing but a headache and a mess. 
I don't see the love in a can of paint. If you're looking to see the love, let me invite you to do something a little different. Let me invite you to look at the cross. Look at the cross. 1 John 4.10 says, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. On the cross, Jesus made payment for our sin. On the cross, Jesus took the punishment that we deserved. On the cross, an atonement for sin was made. When we look at the cross and we remember Jesus, we remember that Jesus died for us because he loves us. God loves us. Behold his love. Look real close. Look real close and see the love of God. He loves you. Jesus died for you. And God invites you to respond to his love and receive his salvation. He invites you to have your sins forgiven and to have new life in Christ. In the New Testament, people responded to that love of Christ by placing faith in Christ and being baptized. Colossians 2, 12 through 15 says, When you were baptized, you were buried with Christ, and you were raised up with him through your faith in God's power that was shown when he raised Christ from the dead. When you were spiritually dead because of your sins and because you were not free from the power of your sinful self, God made you alive with Christ and he forgave all our sins. He canceled the debt which listed all the rules that we failed to follow. He took away that record with its rules and he nailed it to the cross. God stripped the spiritual rulers and powers of their authority with the cross. He won the victory and showed the world that they were powerless. Think back to your childhood. And if that's too far back, think back to when you were raising kids. And if that's too far back, think, back, uh, think about your grandkids. And if that doesn't work, just try to imagine this. <laughs> imagine a late night storm. Big cracks of thunder and a bunch of lightning. What, what do the kids do? They run into mom and dad's room and jump in bed with them. Why do they do that? Because they're scared and because they feel more safe with you. Why do they feel safe with you? Because they know that you love them. Love is a promise of protection, of safety, of assurance. But once again, the greatest love from another person is not perfect. As parents, we want to protect our children. We want to keep them safe. And as good parents, we do our best to do that, but it doesn't always work. Our children still get hurt. There are still fears and worries and concerns. But once again, the love from God is different. Once again, the love of God is perfect, and it's trustworthy. The love of God gives us that promise of safety and assurance. When we are in Christ, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Romans 8, verse 35 through 39. Can anything separate us from the love Christ has for us? Can troubles or problems or sufferings or hunger or nakedness or danger or violent death, as it is written in the scriptures, for, we, for you we are in danger of death all the time. People think we are worth no more than sheep to be killed. 
But in all these things, we are completely victorious through God who showed us his love for us. Yes, I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor ruling spirits, nothing now, nothing in the future, no powers, nothing above us, nothing below us, nor anything else in the whole world will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I hope that you can really behold the amazing love of God. But remember, we become what we behold. The disciple John understood and he knew that the love of God should be reflected in our lives. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 through 12. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love amongst us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Our Lord, our God, our King gave his life for us. He died upon the cross for you and for me. And since God loves us, even though we are unworthy, even though we have these muddy souls, this sin that we struggle with, even though that, God loves us. And since God loves us, we ought to love one another. Knowing the grace of God should make us people of grace. Being forgiven should help us to forgive others. We are loved and therefore we should love others. The love of God is something to behold. Love is the reason. It's the reason we come together for worship. It's the reason we obey the will and the commands of God. It's the reason that we have hope and confidence beyond this life. Love is the reason that we love people. People that we share the faith with and people who are far from the Lord. We love them. We love because the Lord is worthy to behold. We become what we behold. Let us behold the love of God. Thanks for listening. Please take a moment to rate this podcast. May the word of God be living and active in your life.